Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 408. Terry Miller, the disc golf guy, I think. Yeah. Here alongside Johnny V. To me, this is 409, but that's okay. Is it really? It is. Are you sure? Terry, have I ever been wrong? <laughs> yes, all the time. I mean, I have been wrong, but I don't okay. believe I am. Oh. Well, <clears throat> sorry about that, guys. I <laughs> As you're asking if you've ever been wrong before. I, so again, my <laughs> microphone was blown out a little bit because, and Terry's probably echoing, during the week, last, during the weekend when we do the broadcasts, I have a different microphone that's a headset that I need to crank up the gain on, so... Right away, the gain was cranked, and I forgot to turn. I switched everything else up, but I forgot to hit the gain. Same thing we, I did last week, and uh, and the week before that. No, I, it was fine two weeks ago. <laughs> sure, just last. So week. you were talking about how you've never been wrong. I'm talking. Continue I'm, on. I'm saying how I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I've never been wrong. Okay. Well, either way, uh, welcome everyone. We have Bradley Williams. He's going to be joining us here tonight. Oh, oh. sorry. You're. Oh, I, I, I see was, what you're. I was pointing to you just to scroll down a little there bit. There you go. Gotcha. Okay. What what episode is it, Tara? It's I, as I said, four oh nine, like Formula four oh nine. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, clean uh, the house. Uh, Bradley Williams will be joining us in a little while. I believe he's getting some dinner and uh, getting himself situated. Told him to take all the time he needs. Uh, we're kind of running around a little bit crazy here. It's been a hectic couple of days, and I'll, I'll give you my story. No one asked for it, but you're going to get it. Uh, after we wrapped up the preserve, which of course we're going to talk about and recap here in a little bit, I ended up getting a, I had a much later flight that went out on Monday instead of going out mm-hmm. bright and early. And with that, that meant I got home at like 2 a.m. last night. I got home at 2 a.m. to then. So like turn two around. hours till your bedtime. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- this morning then I had to uh, pick up a, my daughter, but then also had to rush off to Madison, which is about an hour to get over to Token Creek, which is where many of you, hopefully, watched and consumed the press conference today. I did. And that went two and a half hours or so for me then to run around and 
essentially get back here to the Milwaukee area, not only to do our show, but also checking in over at Funky Farms. And then tomorrow, we're going to have an ordeal, which I'll discuss, and then turn around and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, back to Madison. So there's been a lot of moving parts for me. I'll be doing a lot of that same running around, actually. Um, I won't be nearly as obligated as you. Uh, I plan on heading out to Funky Farms tomorrow as well for a little bit. And then I'm going to uh, work from my Madison office, quote unquote work from my Madison <laughs> office for the for like the morning till mid-afternoon before I come out to the event um, to, to kind of check out what's going on. I don't even know where they're going to be on Friday. I don't know if it's uh, are they doing Elver Elver high stand or Elver Elver token token? No, they're doing the U.S. Women, uh, yes. as we're discussing, the United States Women's Disc Golf Championships. Uh, my last understanding, albeit brief, was that our FPL competitors will play Token Creek on Thursday, Token Creek on oh, so Friday, Token Token, El- and then uh, Elver, Elver on Elver. Saturday and Sunday. And and okay. quick plug, I think we're gonna the Disc Golf Guy is gonna officially have a, a booth set up with some uh, stuff to sell. Some just random things. So uh, if if you hear me talking about random discs that have showed up that are available, I, th- I think there's some brand new Discmania that was being released tomorrow. Sky Gods? Whatever it is. There's going to be a whole bunch of stuff available, and uh, we'll be set up at Elver for the weekend as well. So uh, real quick, let's give you guys all the update um, as much as I know and or can share. So uh, as Johnny and I just alluded to and talked about, there Ultimately, Ben Askren and the Disc Golf Pro Tour slash Disc Golf Network were able to put together a fundraiser, charity, skin, celebrity, pro-am matchup. Now, this is a much... I don't want much is maybe the right word. This is a scaled-back version from what last year was. Last year, not only was there more time and a, a greater timeline to work with, but just in general, uh, there were a few more celebrities, a few more pros that were involved. This year, knowing that it was fit into a very specific timetable, there were some limitations, and certainly we no one really wanted to take away the, the luster or shine that's going to be the U.S. women's taking place literally just the next 45 day. minutes down the road <laughs> the next day and over the next few days. So um, this also goes with saying... Just like it was last year and just like it likely will be in any other future years, no matter what, this is always a an invite event. And we hear the fans, the Disc Golf Pro Tour hears the fans, The I'm sure Ben, and all the celebrity hear the fans and the people, especially in the Milwaukee area, our hometown, that say... Hey, we really want to come out and be part of it. We really, this is exciting. This is awesome. Celebrities and top level golfers in the world are all right here in our backyard. The problem is this is not a public venue. Not only is the venue not public, but it's not really set up for fans. Knowing the course, the way it runs on Ben's private property, it it's not really fan friendly. There's not, I don't think you could fit more than 50 people comfortably to be able to watch and walk around without being in the way of a fairway or three knowing Ben's property. So I don't know if if this particular event will ever be open to the fans. Um, the one at funky farms. Now we may have other celebrity pro-ams in, in the future that at other locations, and I'm sure maybe those will be open up to some fans, but this one is a much more intimate, private, 
uh, event. But my understanding is, you know, obviously not to outshine USW DGC, they're going to take the footage that they film and they're going to stuff it away for a few months and probably use it as some sort of off-season content. Yeah, GK Pro is heavily involved along with the disc golf network and they that is exactly it there's going to be um a a to be released later uh edition of all of this that will unfold at a later time of course you'll be able to find that on disc golf network um and so on and so forth so just wanted to throw it out there that that's where it's all at i i know there's a lot of questions and and quite honestly um it, it it's a blessing in the first place that it was able to really be able to happen the way it did. Ben, <laughs> Ben, I, I didn't see Ben. I don't think Ben's even in town today. So there was a, there was a gathering and a welcoming um, social tonight at his house. And he wasn't even in town yet because his schedule is so crazy that he's not even able to arrive and get into town until tomorrow. So that just shows how uh, kind of crazy things have been for a lot of people for us to be able to get it to put it together to the extent that it is. So that's what I wanted to throw out there. Uh, doesn't sound like I'll be in any capacity uh, playing, which is probably uh, uh, best for everybody. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't count on that. You never know if a, um, if a celebrity doesn't show up, if a pro doesn't show up. Terry, you got to be ready. I, you, there's a keep, bunch of different hats. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to kind of be an MC this weekend, I believe. But yeah, uh, well, uh, it, it, at any rate, uh, that's the scoop. Because you've heard Cat, Paige, and a few other people kind of uh, lightly touch on it or discuss it or bring it up. But as far as I know, that's the scoop. The one spoiler I'm going to share that even none of the celebrities know yet, the player pack that is brought to us in part by Discraft is insane. That's what I'm going to say. Everybody really? last year, the celebrities all got a player pack uh, of sorts of for just being there and being part of it. Yeah, I, I got a little sneak peek at the player pack and of which they're not paying anything uh, to to participate. But um, the player pack is insane. And the other I mean, I got another another Smashbox exclusive. I believe it's somewhere in the tune of twenty thousand dollars is up for grabs that celebrities can then win for the charity of their choices. So. How much? Twenty thousand. How much? 20k okay all right so that's what we know and um yeah have you met my new charity (laughs) (laughs) uh johnny v's uh johnny v's house is that is that what the charity is called yes as soon as i see your paperwork i'd be happy to send a donation (laughs) i'd like to see your 501c3 working uh, on it status so working on it um so of course we're going to be recapping the preserve we're going to talk to our MPO champion, Bradley Williams, in literally just a few moments. Uh, also, we'll recap everything we saw on the FPO side, and then we'll touch a little bit on the AM Worlds from this last weekend. So I think if you're ready, he looks ready. If he wants to flip his camera, uh, uh, give it a 90 degree turn, it'll probably fill the screen magically. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, as he's coming in from our Disc Baron digital green room. Oh, this guy's like a pro and stuff. He's got it. He's got he's, it under control. He's got it, folks. Bringing the hot sauce, <laughs> bringing the mustard, bringing it all. Bradley Williams. <laughs> What's up, buddy? Where are you doing Hello. this from? Where are you right now, pal? <laughs> I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm at the Vintage Brewery. Okay. Okay. Where? Where, where is that? Dinner as a group. 
Is that is that downtown uh, Madison? Is that on the east yeah, or west side? Okay. I think it's like on the west side of Madison. Okay. Okay. Vintage brewery. It's got like cheese curds. They make their own beer. <laughs> okay, you've just n- literally named every Wisconsin bar in <laughs> in cheese every curds county. And, uh, brewing beer. That's yeah. right. Um, if yeah, you can't. Obviously, oh, as everybody says, you can't leave Wisconsin without getting some good cheese curds. Either the squeaky cheese or the deep fried kind. Doesn't matter. You know, find find whatever you have because we make the best cheese here. So that's what that's we facts. do. All right, buddy. Well, first and foremost, uh, because I simply just got to watch it and talk about it, but it's great to to see you. Congratulations on your weekend. Uh, Two days later, how does it feel? How is it sunk in? Uh, I still have that like uh, golden hour, like thing that's kind of happening. Like we went out and played um, this private course, just no warm up, no putts just and it's super wooded with like a cliff on either side of the fairway and i literally just striped every fairway i made every single 60 footer 50 footer i threw one in from like 170 feet like it's just like i wasn't even it was just i'm still riding that kind of like tournament vibe where it's like i just look and go look and go so you're We're, a little disappointed there isn't an event this weekend uh, yeah. that, that you're that you you're are carrying that momentum. You kind of get to carry though. Unfortunately, maybe you can help you know Luke with some of that momentum and just be near her and the general vibes. Yeah, maybe I'm that'll gonna, rub off. I'm just going to focus on like swimming in Wisconsin lakes and eating cheese curds. I'm going to go watch the women's uh, tournament. I say you take a day yeah, off and go up friends. to Wisconsin Dells, biggest water have, park. Yeah I've, yeah, I've been to Wisconsin Dells. I've gone to Devil's Lake. Um, yeah. What was you and I had that conversation? What about a year or two ago? Where you had asked, you know, where where you need to check out in Wisconsin, right? And did I point you to Devil's Lake or that area? Yeah, it's really cool. It's like it's got this cool cliff you can climb up to. There's like a lot of rock formations. They have these like rip these like tide pools, and then the lake itself is really cool, really clear water. It's uh, fun. I love I love it. I love this part of the country. Good. Uh, glad that it's uh, it's treating you well. Uh, quick side note: did did you play Heartbreak Ridge today? Is that is that where you were? No, no. This is like a private, like a private course. Oh, like a, well, was it Duster's house? He calls it Heartbreak Ridge. That's why. So we played on uh, Pat Blake's uh, little ah, course. I don't know okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Awesome. We're not. We won't. Different we won't private dox course. Yeah. Different we won't dox course. them or give out the address. <laughs> um, so coming over to Wisconsin now, just to be clear, originally I think everyone on the planet would have assumed that Luke was going to be playing this weekend because that's maybe what we all put together. But did I see on your Instagram she's not here? She's not playing, right? No, she flew home last night. It's so sad. Yeah. Why? She's just like, you know, she's like a part time. She's like a part owner of a disc golf shop in Norway. And she's got like, um, there was tournaments that she was going to play. Like she was going to defend the the Norwegian championship, the nationals. Uh, but she decided to go to Bailey, Colorado and give match play a try and, and like work on that side of the, you know, the sport, the, the American side, and I think, you know, and then obviously she was here for when I won, which she would have missed if she would have gone home. So it's sort of like a bittersweet thing. Like she stayed longer than she was going to. She missed some stuff that she wanted to play, but she got to be here with me. And I think she had, you know, she got, she had a funny, she had a good interview at the um, match play and then she played well in the mountains and had some good matches. Uh, So I think the weeks here for her were really good and uh, she'll be back um, for Des Moines and worlds. And hopefully we can get her to stay for uh, GMC 
and stuff like that. Awesome. Okay. Well, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about it. I brought it up with the cat today. I brought it up with Paige at the press conference. But that that 626 uh, date in which you win your first pro tour, you know, in 2016, then you win it again. Uh, the, the two of the biggest wins in your career, six years apart on the same day, all for the pro tour, or both for the pro tour. That that's just crazy coincidence, right? Yeah, totally crazy. I didn't even know about it until Friday morning when Paige was like talking about it. Um, but I felt I felt like I was getting pulled along the first two rounds by like a force that wasn't like me. Like I felt like destiny played a hand in the weekend. It's so weird that like my conscious mind wasn't aware of that stuff, but like it all came together for this perfect little story. So it's really just bizarre. Well, let, let me s- sign me up for picking you in 2028. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wherever you're going to be in 2028, I'm on it. I'm yeah, I've got you down pat right now. Let's go. <laughs> no, Hopefully it, before then too, but well, for sure that day. <laughs> I, exactly. And that's what I guess I was going to say is, do you, do you feel, I mean, you had these feels and this, you know, almost this force, but do you feel like when you showed up to the preserve, there's, there was anything about your game where it felt, I mean, you, you feel good every week when you show up, don't you? Like, or, or was there something different? I mean, like, it's been, like, I've just been, I've been struggling like every week to get to like that 10, 50, 10, 60 level. Like I've, I can, I can come in and play like 10, 30 golf, but you can't win a tournament doing that anymore. And uh, so like that extra few strokes and that extra momentum through the rounds, like you need to make some circle two putts that way, that next 29 footer, you can get through that one smoothly. But if you're missing a bunch of circle two putts and then you choke on a 28 footer, it's like, there goes, you know, 30 rating points and a, and a, you know, in a better spot and a better card more like you just lose a lot. And you just kind of get pushed down in the field. So I've been chipping away and grinding the last few weeks and like, Nothing special was happening going into the preserve, and I almost didn't play the tournament. I literally almost did walked away before my tea time. Um, uh, it just, uh, I think I just had a few things that, um, about my game that I changed this week that helped with timing. I kind of had like an epiphany moment in the field when I was working on my swing, and I kind of found a sweet spot to use for the week, and it really helped um, during on that course. We're talking about it today. Yeah, I've got to challenge you only from a from a lack of understanding perspective. I heard you say, I think it was uh, Saturday night's interview after the round that you were going to work on your footing and and timing or footing and footwork. And yet, when when we put together a list of the top five smoothest throwers and releasers in the game, like you're on that list. So how are you second guessing your own timing and footwork when it feels like fraction of a second? Yeah, literally. Like, <laughs> yeah, what are you working on when you say that? So, uh, like one thing. So, like every week you show up, you you do the drive, you show up, you learn the tracks, you pick, you build your bag every week to try to match the course you're playing, and then you're also trying to add in like improvements. Like how can I improve? How can I get more power? How can I get more snap? And then of course like. Um, like little timing patterns in your footwork, you like your hips aren't turning the full amount. Like every couple of degrees will make a difference on like your line and delivery. 
So sometimes you just kind of get uncalibrated and then you think you need to change stuff. So like there's a lot of that going on, but basically the things that was different before this week and um, last week was I, I was throwing like wider lines. Like when I thought I need to throw a turnover, I would throw it very wide. And, it, and it, on, I don't know how wide it is like in degrees, but I felt I was on the edges. Like my hyzers were really wide and, and my turnovers were really wide. Um, and I just kind of brought everything in a lot tighter. My lines were just a little bit tighter. It felt a little bit more closer to my body. And I was just pivoting my, uh, like my trajectory a little bit with my, I, I just felt like I brought everything in this week. And so my overall package was just a little bit tighter, a little bit cleaner. I wasn't playing these wider shots. If that makes sense. Yeah. And when I, I think about, you know, the, the fact that you can analyze and break it down that much to that degree, I think is first of all, a great lesson for everybody out there. And then when I think about your timing, your throw, your, you know, your fluidity, I, I can't help but assume that you had some influence over the Mundahanos and, and Mason Ford is, is, am I crazy in thinking that when I, when I spew or those maybe words, even Emerson Keith, <laughs> yeah, when I spew those words live on the broadcast to thousands of people, am I, am I making that up or is, or is there possibly some legitimate influence, uh, for them? I think there has to be like, there has to be some influence. I mean, there's no other way about it. Like if I'm like the guy with the backpack on, like carrying the load for like a community, I feel like you have to look at that dude and, and take lessons from their game, you know? So I think there's has to be some influence, like just the, my cadence and the way that I play there has to be in like the courses in our state kind of like, you're like, Oh, okay. Well, Brad gets through these courses pretty well. And like your game, like I can either play like Brad or I can do something different. It's sometimes it's easier just to kind of do what you see. So like if I had never watched disc golf ever before, and my first, the first pro I ever watched was like, uh, you know, Steve Brinster, you know, like I'm going to try to throw discs like Steve Brinster. Sure. Uh, with the hop and everything. So yeah, with, uh, the, with the hop. Yeah, exactly. Um, who, did, who did you look to when it, when it comes to form? Um, or who did you um, maybe so like take I, note of? So when I turned on YouTube, like there was like a clip of like Ken Clamo smoking a cigarette and putting it out on a tee pad and throwing a shot. And then there was like Brian Schweberger throwing a thumber red shorts. And there was like a couple of clips of Barry Schultz. Like I didn't, you know, there, I had, to, we had to get Billy Crump DVDs mm-hmm, to like mm-hmm. watch tournaments. So I mean, I learned from my locals, but I think my inspiration was like Ken Clamo, Barry Schultz. Um, were the two biggest like swing kind of guys that I liked to look at. I I feel as if you and Macbeth also just the way you kind of I don't want to say creep onto the tee pad, but the way you kind of uh, methodically take your first initial few steps. I feel like I see some similarities between you and Macbeth. Uh, I know you guys have you know had conversations throughout the years, but have you, have you guys ever discussed form? Uh, so when I first started playing, there was a kid in my community named Ian Hovey and he, uh, he took a huge run up. Like he would have given James Conrad like a a run for his money. And he was by far the, the best power player, the most talented player in my community. And when I met him, I didn't really have, you know, I took up, I was really, I was really compact and short steps, but I started to try to pick huge run ups. But back then, all the tee boxes were like natural. So there would be like potholes and it would be slippery. And then I started playing tournaments and like you would never get a consistent tee surface. It was always like small ones, long ones, skinny ones. 
and it always bothered me trying to take a beat, try to be the James Conrad. Like I, like I can't play my best because I only take 37 foot runups. So then I started <laughs> to like break, I started to shorten it and shorten it and shorten it. And then, um, you know, luckily by the time, um, YouTube was getting a little bit more popular, um, I could look at other players like Nate Doss, um, and, and like kind of watch how like he did his footwork. Um, and then I went to worlds in 2009 and I got to play with a lot of great players. I played with Monaboo on my mm. first round, um, real compact. Uh, you know, I got to play with, um, you know, Jesper Ludmark. Uh, mm. I got to play with Steve Brinster. I got to play with Barry Schultz. I got to play with Ken Climo. I got to play with Nico LeCastro. So like everyone was like using the T surface and being compact. And I think I just adapted my game from tournament play just cause we started using concrete more often. So no, I mean, that makes perfect sense. You very, it, you're fortunate that you recognized early that, Hey, if I have a much more compact swing and, and you're taking some of those other variables, like you said, the ver- the different surfaces and the length or width of those surfaces and trying to minimize your overall need for them. I, I that makes perfect sense. Ex- explain to us, um, and this, to be fair, this is a question I think I asked of uh, maybe Missy Gannon today, but uh, is is the preserve and Kale's place and and the extracurriculars and the camping and everything that's out there is it as cool as everybody says it is? That's interesting. Um, so we had an Airbnb in Minnesota. It was like about 48 miles away. Mm. So I didn't get to, and I know the Kale's property is so large. Um, and I can't, like, I can't really tell where the hangout spots are. So I can't really comment on the coolness of that vibe and like how sweet it was. I know having the body of water to swim in is probably pretty sweet. Um, but I, I just didn't get a taste of that, that vibe, um, this week. I was just, I had to get into a car. I went to Nelson's every day and had a sandwich and then drove a road, a small road trip to back to the house. So sorry, no comment there. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's just, it, you know, Kale's place and then Kale's playground. And then it's, you know, it's known obviously to the locals uh, of this, you know, the sanctuary, but yet this playground that it is. And then I just feel like when our, because of the vastness of the property and the fact that it's private, and that when our caravans of disc golfers and touring disc golfers show up, it becomes like just this mini festival of disc golfers, you know, immediately, you know, KJ, yeah, I, I KJ doing, uh, you know, his sets and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would say it's definitely an experience. Uh, if, if you can get a parking pass and, and hang out during the tournament, that'd probably be a really cool vibe in the evenings when everyone's just sitting around and talking and hanging out. I think it'd be really cool. People bring out their dogs and pets. It looks like a really relaxing, like family, like camping trip. Now, because partially because we haven't seen you, um, you know, on the top of the podium in, in some recent big, you know, level events, you're clearly winning. You've won plenty. You've, do you have over a hundred wins? Is it 123 or 136? It's a lot. Um, but some people may not know you nearly as well because we haven't seen you, uh, you know, on top of the podium at the pro tour events as often, even though you win all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you want people to know about you that maybe haven't seen you or just kind of got to know you this weekend? Hmm. What do I want people to know about Bradley Williams? Well, that's my name, Bradley Williams. (laughs) Okay. I'm from Austin, Texas. I've been playing for 16 seasons. Um, I 
I, I love to watch uh, people work on their game. Uh, I like to walk, watch people work on their form. Um, I like to talk about that kind of stuff. I like to talk about strategy and shot shaping. So um, that'd be one of the things that I'd be think it'd be really cool to like know about me is that like I'm really interested in like learning different shots and like what you think about the course and yeah, I think it's cool to talk about not necessarily I'm not necessarily like a disc guy like I'm never going to be able to tell you like the pre-flight number mold or anything but we can talk about shots and strategy and stuff like that all day I think that'd be kind of cool so I, I think that'd be kind of cool for people to know is that I'm sort of like a little bit of a nerd a little bit of an athlete kind of mixed in well, I met you in 2011 at worlds um over in santa cruz uh again in two what six years ago practically at the at uh the vibram open um as i tagged uh i tagged you in the instagram post from the disc you and page had um your name for some of us that have been in the sport longer comes with a little bit of baggage at times how have you changed in the last 10 years what what about you is different from 10 years ago than now? I think the story, the story that I tell of like the story of disc golf that I tell of myself is changed. Like I've changed the story that I wanted to tell the story that I used to tell was like, um, I don't really care what any of you think. Uh, I don't know any of you. I don't care to know any of you. I'm just going to, I'm just going to come out here and throw these discs to these tournaments. And then this, I've just changed that story for myself. Like, um, so it's made me just um, uh, a little bit more relaxed and like uh, just a different. So like this, I'm trying to be more professional. I wanna, I wanna learn. I wanna be professional. I wanna carry myself like a professional. I wanna look like it's a, like a career or a job when I'm out playing. I wanna take it seriously. I wanna look the part. I wanna carry myself in a way that's professional and try to like be a role model. But um, yeah, before I just didn't care at all what I look like what I, how I dressed. I didn't care what anyone thought. Um, cause that's, that's not what I was trying. That's not what I was there for. So I've just changed like how I see disc golf and like the story that I want to tell. I've just kind of changed that as that, as I've grown older and been involved uh, in the sport longer. With that, do you, was there ever a, a specific turning point for you? Was there something that made, you know, you kind of flip that switch or just overall change that mentality? Um, I think that it was like a long road coming, like, you know, like I think building more friendships in disc golf made it feel more like a family thing. Like, I think I was keeping my friends that I had made before I started playing disc golf, but then I played so much disc golf that it's like, it's like half my life now. Like I always felt like, Oh, I just picked up the sport. Oh, I've only been in the sport for a little bit. People don't know me. They're just, I'm not really a disc golfer, but I mean, at this point I've played almost half my life. And I've started to make more friends in the sport. And that's kind of like been the turning point. I think it's like, I've taken disc golf and kind of embraced that. Like I am a disc golfer. Um, and this is like my family. Like this is my, my people. Yeah, I, I've said that for years in that by and large, you're playing with and seeing these same people week in and week out, sometimes 30 or 40 weekends a year, you're inevitably going to be traveling the same circles together or somebody's going to need a favor somewhere along the line, whether it's a flat tire or or a place to crash because, you know, an Airbnb fell through, whatever. And so to have that network, to have that family-like support system, I I feel like is crucial. It's it's almost impossible to 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 survive while being a little bit of a loner. It feels like anyway, does that sound right? 
Yeah, that sounds accurate. Um, so you just got done hitting on being a little bit of a nerd, loving to talk about disc golf, yet carrying yourself very professionally. A lot of those boxes you would check in terms of turning into a professional coach slash caddy or coach and caddy, whatever, anywhere in that realm of instructing. Where 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 does that sit as a priority for you, if at all, is instruction and and lessons and clinics and any of those types of things? I think it'd be cool that like if the sport got to the point where just um, the the talent was just really young, like you'd start seeing more 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds um, just like just being so talented that they're just pushing everyone down and they're taking over like the top spots in the tournaments. It'd be cool to like be a um, be like a kind of like a mentor and coach for those players, maybe um, partner with um a title sponsor and like you just kind of take these boys or young men under your wing and kind of guide them as they mature. Cause if the, cause if the Gannon birds of the world are the future, the Evan, that little, the other kid named Evan that I met recently this year is like a young guy. Like if that's the trend, you're going to have a bunch of really young men that haven't been adults yet. And it would be it kind of be, would be cool to have like an experienced like person who has also proven that they're a player, like a pro level player. Um, with a resume of tournaments to, to like kind of trust and like take under their wing. I think that'd be kind of a cool situation. I, I, I feel like if you want that job, you just have to move to Finland and like you're hired tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, there's, there are, you know, potentially hundreds, if not thousands of the next, you know, McBass, Wysocki's, Bradley Williams, they're, they're in training and it's going to be scary when they all are, are ready to go and are playing internationally. Yeah. Um, you've maybe been, I don't, I don't know how much you've kept in tune, we'll say with the FPO game, but if we're looking from a kind of a, a coach slash observer perspective, oh, what have you observed? Maybe you've gotten a little closer to the FPO game recently uh, with your, your significant other. What, what are you observing on the FPO side and, and where do you help or, or come into things if, if you're even there to help at all? Um, so I've noticed that a lot more, uh, ladies are starting to use like the power pocket and like their hips and to like propel the disc instead of just kind of throwing it with their upper body. I feel like they're starting to really start to exploit like the hinges and stuff and launch the discs. Um, so I think distance and like driving speed is like kind of starting to pick up a little bit in the FBO field, which is really nice. It's going to give them some advantages out there on the course. And then, um, I think putting's always been pretty, I mean, I feel like putting is getting really strong in the FPO division. Um, I think the only thing now is like they just need those little buttery upshots. I think a lot of women jump putt for the upshots and they don't throw like little short shots as much. Mm. So I'd like to see um, that kind of come into the FPO division, like seeing them throw shots from like the 90 to like 160 foot range instead of trying to jump putt it up there. That'd be really cool. But yeah, I just want to like encourage and try to be there and support uh, women's disc golf. I really would like to see um, the competition like really step up and climb. And I think it is. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm so excited about this week. I'll probably be seeing you within the next few days in person, but excited to see, you know, how things unfold in Madison and the level. I mean, not only are we breaking records with 323 total women and, and 92 FPO players, but just to be able to see what everybody can do out there and how they can attack these courses. Um, and, and part of the reason, to be fair, why I asked that question the way I did the previous one about, 
you know, helping is because in speaking with Luke, we we heard, I heard her. I feel like every time she answered a question, she said, we are working on this or we are, you know, uh, we are working on my distance. And then I started, you know, putting it all together, thinking, OK, this is very much a, uh, you know, a, a tandem helping situation and assisting coaching, whatever you want to call it. Um, th- that's kind of what it felt like. So maybe my my assumptions were right. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I feel like she helps me with um, like the putting stroke and like finishing, like finishing all the way through my putt and holding my like hand at the target. And she always reminds me to like go all in on the putt. Like either I'm going to lay up or I'm going to go all in. I have a bad habit of like knowing where I want to putt, but like like not committing all the way. So she always just reminded me to commit, go all the way. If you're going to lay up, lay up. If you're going to go with the putt, go all the way up the putt. Um, And then I try to help her like remember to use like her body and stay loose, but still connected and try to like, so we're, we definitely work on the game together. Um, But as anyone who has ever dated it as golfer knows that at times it's tough to hear like criticism from like your significant other. So we definitely have our moments where we're like, you know, don't, don't tell me. I don't want to hear it right now. I don't want to hear it right now. Yeah, I won't even tell the story. about. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A few minutes ago, I was with uh, Paul McBeth and Hannah McBeth, and she had some stories, and I don't think she wants me to share them here. She was on the chat board. She's fine with it. They got got rowdy. Now, uh, (laughs) um, let's, I I think specifically about a few major moments throughout the weekend, or should I say specifically even the final round, and I think about where, you know, I know you said you weren't really keeping track of the scores. You weren't, you know, getting wrapped up in that, but... I think about, well, does that answer my question that like the putt on 16 final round on the mound, you were in the circle or near circle's edge. I think you were in the circle. Uh, If I recall, you were a little low. Was pressure, how much pressure, like on a scale of one to 10, like, are you feeling the pressure of the tournament? Like at that moment with a couple holes left? Yeah, I had already missed, um, I'd already like, even before the round started, when I was in warmups, I just wasn't, I didn't feel like I had that full focus where like, I see myself committing. I felt like the whole round, it was like, I, uh, I just was like slipping away. It almost felt like a car was like running out of gas, but like kind of stuttering. It's like, I would, I had to keep pulling deep and pull myself out and I would like throw a great shot and then like not commit on the putt. And I'd just be like, what are we doing? And then it was like a back and forth the whole round of just surviving and trying to like take all the mental lessons I've learned over the years. I'm like, just got to keep surviving. You got to keep fighting. Like we have to at least get a birdie every a couple of holes. We have to keep some sort of pace going. And then um, as far as like that putt, it was like a right to left wind slightly uphill. And I think the mistake was I, my back foot should have like inched up. Like I felt like I probably did hit my timing point but I was like lean forward. Um, I think I should have adjusted my stance and like had my shoulders and chest like aiming up so I could guide it into the chains. Cause of the way that the read worked for me was I needed to put it low with the nose up hyzer and let the wind take it up into the chains. So I wouldn't go high. And I think, um, I was trying to do my normal stance. So then when 17 came around, I was like, I'm going to switch to a straddle. It's the same like sloped lie. And I come and it's going to change up the putt completely. Um, so yes, there was a lot of pressure. I would say, like, I felt like I really needed to execute and I felt like it was like, I, I allowed it to get too much pressure. 
I I mean, you've got Waisaki and uh, literally hooting and hollering going on, you know, screaming from all over uh, with him making big putts on the card in front of you. Obviously, you have your card mates to deal with or to be somewhat concerned with. I I can't fathom that kind of pressure. Um, and, and then knowing you're on a course where par's not good enough, you, you need birdies. And so I guess maybe that's the question buried in there is, does a course like that put extra pressure on you when you're thinking, hey, wait a minute, somebody could birdie like all 18 holes today? I mean, is the pressures different when a course, I don't, I'm not going to say soft, but when a course has that many scoring opportunities? Well, I think every player knows that that's the, that's the probability that you're, or it's even a fact that people are going to shoot 10 down. Yeah. Uh, someone is, for sure. Um, I think that because of that, the best strategy is to know that you cannot think of that. Like you just, you know it, but then you just have to really focus on your plan, like on your plan, because you need every bit of like your, you have to stay in yourself to even get the, all the birdies. So it's one of those things where you, you know it, but then you just like, you have to let it go and just stay super focused to the basics. That way you can just flow because you have to be firing at all cylinders at least part of the round or maybe even half the round um to accumulate enough uh strokes to compete so for me i just was like do your best to be like in the you know just be the pro that you can be believe in your stuff and i apologize i think you said it maybe in your final interview but i don't recall what when did you know of the scores and the full scenario at what point were you like fully aware of all the details for what was needed, whether it was on 17 or 18, when did you know everything? So I didn't, I didn't actively seek uh, the the entire tournament knowledge. I kept track of our leaderboard Mm -hmm. to see like where my card was. And then I kind of just made it a personal assessment of like, it is windy, blah, blah, blah. How are we playing as a card? And I just felt like we were off the pace as a card a little bit. Okay. I didn't know what the pace was, but I knew that we, I felt like we were off a little bit. We all had made some like mistakes we normally wouldn't make. And I had heard a lot of cheering and I was hoping that the cheering was just Gannon. And I was like, <laughs> okay, Gannon's probably shredding, but it, he's just playing for top 10. Like, so I was like, okay. But then I felt the fresh, I knew that I needed to make a putt on 16 or 17. I knew I had to get one of those holes because I knew there was going to be an Eagle situation on 18 for someone. So I felt a ton of pressure to at least birdie 16 or 17. And then I didn't want to think about it until I cleared the first lake on 18 because I didn't want any extra pressure. But I also chose to be super aggressive because I decided on 18 that like any champion in any sport has to risk it at some point. You can't just play safe and win championships. You have to like kind of play your like take a risk. So I took a big risk on 18 and, and forced a shot that's like out of my comfort zone a little bit more aggressive to give myself the, an easier upshot. And then I checked the scores. Mm. And then I realized that Ricky had a situation to Eagle, um, but he had bad footing, you know, mm. and we actually, we actually saw the shot go into the water. Oh, really? You were watching the disc golf network at the time and, or you saw it from the, from where your, your perspective. So we had, we had just finished 17 and Simon and Kyle must have known the situation because Simon was like, Oh, there's Ricky's drive. Ah. And I was like, well, why are you even talking about Ricky's drive? If Ricky's not doing something like, why would you even mention it? We, mm-hmm. There's always a card in front of you. 
And then I was like, <laughs> wait, that's Ricky Scribe. That's really far. Like he threw it, Ricky threw it really far. Like, what is Ricky playing for? Is he playing for second? Like, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> but I was like, these guys are concerned about Ricky. And I'm like, I don't know why they're concerned, but I knew it was like really significant that they, that he mentioned, oh, look, there's Ricky's drive. I was like, why are we caring what Ricky's doing? And then I threw my tee shot and then I was like, tell me what Ricky's doing. <laughs> and then I had, I had a full on panic attack. I almost like, I didn't know what to do. I was freaking out. <laughs> Uh, well, I, yeah, I had it said it <laughs> during the during the broadcast, but you and Rick have have traveled together, right? What's what's the extent of your your friendship or or traveling relationship? Well, if it, like we're friends for sure, but if anyone knows Ricky like better than just an acquaintance, they know that he's like super competitive all the time. Mm-hmm. Like he's there's not much chill <laughs> with Ricky. Like it's always like you always feel like he's ready to go beat you at a game or do something. Like he's never just relaxed. Like, I feel like he sits down for five minutes and then he's like, I need to be productive. I need to win at something. I need to beat somebody somewhere. (laughs) I'm going to beat someone. Like, yeah, it's like, I'm going to beat you at cooking fish. You know, I'm going to beat you at, you know, the cheese curd eating contest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So traveling with Ricky, it's just like you have, I feel like to thrive with Ricky, you have to be able to run the same pace as Ricky. And it's just, it's hard to keep up with that guy. A lot of energy. Yeah, and so uh, what an epic battle. I mean, the fact that he was where he was, the fact that he could put up that kind of fight from the chase card to try to defend his title, to even you know be in the conversation with you. Like you said, you could feel like the other card mates maybe weren't keeping up or you guys weren't playing you know exactly stellar. But to know that Ricky was right there and man, he, he, I don't want to say had a chip on his shoulder, but he had something to prove. He wanted to come back from this injury and defend that title. And even if it was in dramatic, you know, chase card fashion. Yeah. And I didn't get to, I didn't get to even know or appreciate Ricky's story until Monday when people started putting out the media, like everyone who had captured media started to put it out. And then I realized like the story, like I knew Ricky made his return but like when I watched him play on those clips, I was like, it, it makes my win even better. Cause it's like Ricky was coming back to defend, even though he's like kind of like not hundred percent. And he was like putting on a show and I saw all those shots he made. And I was like freaking out. Like I was freaking out watching it on a Monday after I had already won. I was like, <laughs> like damn, I, I got by. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you, you, I was like, he's coming. You, you have to hope when you, when you're, playing and you're hearing the cheers in front of you like you said hoping that they're cheering for Gannon or hope or hoping those cheers are spread out for different players but that yes. was that wasn't the case <laughs> every one of those cheers was a Ricky cheer because that guy was dropping him in from everywhere and it was it was I'm ridiculous so glad I did not know I'm so <laughs> glad I did not know it was all just one dude yeah. Like man, those that yeah. crowd up there really loves pars. Those guys keep getting pars. <laughs> yeah. No offense to Gannon, but I don't know if the if the cheers are that loud for Gannon versus Ricky, man, cuz Ricky Ricky's a fan favorite. Yeah, he he definitely isn't again with the title and the coming back off the injury, mm-hmm. you know, certainly a, a lot of great reasons to cheer for him. Now, of course, there was uh, you know, the overall performance, but then then there was hole number 5. I mean, how cool is that shot? And and is it f- true? You absolutely didn't see the basket at all. You were just throwing to the tunnel, correct? So, yeah, I couldn't see the basket. Uh, I stepped out to, like, get my line. 
and I knew I knew my main concern was to get the disc back online with the target so I could so I wouldn't touch like anything like I was like I need to be like close I don't want to have to make a circle two putt for par so I um like I mapped out the line to the target like in my mind and I was like we can we can do this like we can get the disc online um but I couldn't see the target um and then uh I sort of like when it went in I sort of got you know I do the low key like oh you know like I'm like, oh, that's sweet. And then uh, after everyone kind of gives me the cool job, I turned around and I looked at everyone's face to see what kind of an impact it made. And I was like, I made an impact on my, every single one of my card mates. I was like, I still have, I have a chance on this card to compete. Like this affected these guys. Like they're a little shook up. And I was like, this is good for me. And I was like, I'm not going to show that I know that. I'm not going to show that I care. But I took I took note how everyone reacted visually on their face, and I was like, "Okay, this is good." Well, I mean, comparing that, we see we see Klein, you know, no more than ten feet from you off the tee. Klein ends up, you know, significantly struggling. Takes and a bogey then, on it, yeah. And then here you are throwing it in. Not only we we said it a lot on the on the broadcast, a four feels just fine, I think, on that hole. But to yep. take the three. And to do it in such dramatic fashion, like there's just so much shock value, like you were saying, like, oh, yeah, yeah I got you suckers. Not only am I not bogeying, I'm just going to throw one in in your face. Yeah, it made a it made a huge impact on my card. It was like it was amazing. Like I it was like, I feel like the other guys had momentum, like like they were getting a lot of birdies and I was like parring. I even had a bogey. And then that that shot happened and it was just. Dude, it changed the whole card. It was great. Like, I was like, yes, dude, this is, I have a chance still to win. I'd go as far as saying like when I feel like when something like that happens all too often, it's like, yeah, damn, it's his day. It's his weekend. You know, this is like, that doesn't happen usually to the guy in 44th place. I mean, it just somehow those things don't happen. And yeah. Like, it's like, all right, well, I guess no matter what we're going to do, it feels like it's Bradley's day. Yeah, I wondered, I, I think I I could see that almost like that thought is what went through everyone's mind. It was like, okay, he was leading the tournament. Now he does this when we think he's out of position. I think mm -hmm. everyone thought that might have had that feeling. And I feel like that's just a little bit of the crack in the door to kind of get in there and like spread your shoulders and take up some space and be like, I'm here still. Like, hey. <laughs> I see you. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got you. Yeah. It was incredible. I mean, I know that's what I was thinking at that time is like sometimes a tournament, a situation when, when there's a thing that can go right or wrong and something like that goes for you. It, it just, yeah, it puts well, that, out that, that hole is, is in general, I think a momentum changer on that course because it's, such a different style hole than I think a lot of the other holes in that course, because it's two tunnel shots. It's a placement tunnel shot. And then if, if you hit the placement, it's another tunnel shot. And we saw all too frequently, a lot of players not make that first tunnel shot. And it, if you don't, it puts you in a very, very difficult position, even to get par a yeah. lot of times. So I, having Bradley throw it in and then you see Kyle take a five, Simon take a five, Conrad take a five. That That is a, that, that is not only, you know, do, do your card mates look at you and go, wow, he just threw it in. But on top of that, they're struggling. That, that deflates a player. <laughs> so around the track, three rounds, you know, I'm sure when it was all said and done, you probably birdied at one point, every single hole out there, I'd have to guess. Uh, 
you, do you have a favorite hole? Is there a favorite section on that course? Uh, do you reflect at all in that way when you when you think back to to the preserve? Um, yeah, I think I really like the way that the first four holes play. Um, they're like they're like oh, like you would say like it's like right between that soft and like cha- semi challenging region. Mm. So it's um you almost kind of want to get you know two or three of them but you could also see yourself like getting one of them mm-hmm. and it makes a difference and you take the long walk to arguably one of the most dynamic holes <laughs> on the course five and then you come out of five with whatever happened and then you have to get that like that that straightforward par three that just seems like it's right there but it's like the perfect distance for people to mess it up and then you're just like you know <laughs> that's exactly what you're like <laughs> that's exactly what you're like and then and then you're you're dealing with all those emotions whether you did good or you were lacking and you needed to make up ground and then you got to clear a lake on a par five and you know mm-hmm. i think the course has all of its like these little moments that like are just work so well together I, I feel like i like playing that whole track and i like the new par four they added um, the little dog leg versus that um, kind of bonus par three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hole eleven. I think, yep. I, think the, I think that par four is pretty cool. I don't yeah, know it, how it, you guys. It's funny because it went yeah. from being a you know as it basically the 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 way it, we talked about it is it went from being a really soft, too easy par four that wasn't one. And a lot of people would lay down rollers there and try to get up and yeah, close and, by. And, and, you know, we saw eagles all the time on that or occasionally. And then the next year they just simply changed it to a par three and everyone's like, okay, well that's too tough of a par three that no one's getting. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then this year, totally different fairway, you know, completely different shape to it and made it a pretty legitimate par four at 650 feet. So you're saying you certainly love that change, which seems like what the the consensus was out there. People love that hole, right? I hope so. I think because I think it's a pretty fair hole, mm-hmm. and it I think it's a good hole. I hope people enjoy it and, and love it. And I know that I kind of like that part three because they can throw a roller, you know. But I know people might have kind of liked that part three, but I really like the part four. I hope people enjoy it. Yeah, uh, for what it's worth, hole four. It's the one hole he didn't get all weekend. Oh, you did not. Why birdie, did you get hole four? You did not birdie hole four all weekend. Missed it all three rounds. I know <laughs> hole four has always been like the annoying hole for me. Yeah. Ah. Huh. What do you got to do to it's get like it? This perfect. It's like this perfect sprinkle of like you got to turn the disc a lot, but you can't cut it. Maybe you still need to get that forward push. And I, I, I know I can pull that shot off. It's just that like. I don't know. It's a, it's always like a really nervy shot in tournaments. I either push it straight or overturn it. I yeah. usually don't get a perfect shot. And even if you do get a perfect shot, then you have to fillet like a low ceiling 330 foot, 340 foot shot. It's just that, that hole's always been like a tough hole just for like my own nerves. Like I try to be chill and cool and play it, but it's always like a challenge. <laughs> what would you say Hopefully to someone? Year, Exactly. What would you say to someone, and I'll use the phrase, that calls that course, because of the scores we've seen throughout the years, that calls that course soft or or almost too easy, too much of a birdie fest? How would you reply to that sentiment or that comment? I would say that, like, disc golf is a birdie sport. 
like I feel like it was designed to be a birdie sport. And when I talked to the the oldest people that I've ever met, um, it was always kind of like a sport that your grandma could come out and play uh, when they first started it. Like that's just sort of the roots. Um, I think that Kale's course could be slightly tweaked to be a little bit more placement oriented. And I, I wouldn't want to add OB or any, like too much OB, but just, I think the course is pretty cool. I think it's cool to have a course like that every now and then. Obviously, uh, I don't like Vista very much, but Fountain Hills is very much uh, a, an absolute birdie race. And because of the beautiful setting and like the watered grass and the environment, it's just, a, it's a, people like to spectate it, I think. Uh, people like to watch coverage of it. Um, and that is an absolute birdie fest where I think this course, you still have to throw a lot of really good shots. Placement's still important. Like, I think this course is definitely like harder. It's just that the talent pool is, is really good. Um, I played with Kyle Klein a couple times and that kid's just freaking awesome. And like, there's so many more kids like him that are just amazing. Um, I would say go out and play it yourself. Keep score, no mulligans. And tell me what, send me your scorecard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I, I'll follow up on that. You, you weren't even going for it, but I did see a post by Kale uh, saying that, you know, a lot of people are excited about the course and wanting to see it and play it. And because it's a hybrid of the regular of the three courses that are out there, I think he posted saying it's going to be set up for the next two weeks and left in this configuration. So if you were out there a month ago or you're out there in one month, you'll see three different courses. But if you go out there in the next uh, 12 or 13 days, you'll get to go up against Bradley's score. I mean, I'm sure... You know, it'd be all the same pressures and galleries and <laughs> yeah. everything else. But, um, you know, clearly this is, you know, one of the biggest wins of your career, even though you've, you know, you're in the triple digit club. But wh- what is it, what does it mean for you as a, as a competitor and as a, as, you know, someone that's been grinding for so long, what does it mean to you in terms of your competitive spirit and who you are as a professional golfer? Um, I feel like it's a culmination of like the change in my storytelling. I think last year I really wanted to take a more professional approach. I, you know, I bought, I started to spend more money on like the clothes I wear, like, which is still not a huge budget, but it's way more than I ever cared to spend on clothes. I would just wear whatever people gave me pretty much. Like, uh, I, you know, I buy expensive, I buy like outfits. I try to get them team stamped. I used to never wear sponsor endorsements on any of my crap even though I had sponsors, like I, I wear the brands, I'm like representing a company. Like I'm trying, I feel like it's a, culm- a culmination of like learning to be a professional and carry myself on the course and be, I'm trying to take on new roles when I'm playing. I'm trying to interact with players in a different way. I feel like it's a, it's all of that, all those steps coming together. And I, I've been really close this year to finishing in the top three or even have a chance to winning, but I always have let my last round where I get too stressed out. And I didn't even shoot like a really bad round. I've been close to playing well this year, but the, um, I'd say the biggest thing for me is like a reminder to some of the older guys that are in their thirties, mid thirties that like we, you can still like, you don't have to give up because these kids are bombing. Like we can, we can still put together good golf and, and, and compete. Um, you just gotta like play well and believe in your game. So hopefully it's a little bit of a reminder to some of my like peers, my older peers that, um, don't give up, you know, like we can still, still play. I feel like it's a cool, like I did it for us and the older guys. So I think it's cool. 
Yeah, and one of the statistics, I, I believe, was that you, I think, are sixth in terms of time span between uh, Elite Series wins. You know, you uh, hmm. you know, one of the longest ever being Cam Todd uh, in what he did, winning a, a national tour way back when, and then showing up to the 2016 GBO and winning that. He has the longest span of how many ever years that was. Um, and then you go through a few of the other people. Nate Doss is on that list. He's fifth uh, longest between his span, and, and you were, I think, had the sixth longest span. I mean... That's got to feel damn good. Like, you clearly have the skills. Like you said, you've been close this year. But to show up and be like, hey, young kids, I, I see you, but uh, I-, I can still get the best of you. Yeah, that's something that, like, um, like I still haven't gotten to that point where, like, I'm looking at it that way. Like, this weekend, I was so focused on just controlling my emotions and, like, trying to do the best version of myself that I never even got to feel that. Like, I feel like Ricky and Kyle and some of the other guys are like checking the scores, maybe even Gannon and they know what they kind of do. And it feels like a boxing match. I, I feel like I wasn't even playing a game against other people. I felt like it was just me in the course, um, which isn't like, it was just a different experience this time around. Like, I feel like it'd be cool to kind of play that gamesmanship match where it's like, Oh, I got to make this putt. And Oh, he did this. And, and it's like a back and forth, and I'm sure that, that that's my what it looks like. But for me, it was just me, myself, in the course and trying to manage my emotions. It felt like I was just – it was doing my own thing this whole weekend. It felt like it was just me. Well, and, and to be fair, I think advice we often hear, and as a reminder we should all keep in mind, is, yeah, it is you against the course. And at the end of the day, what – what others do, like you're not controlling that outcome. I mean, if 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 Ricky's going to get on fire and shoot 19 under and get past you, there's nothing you you know you're not impacting what Ricky's doing. You all you can do is shoot your best score against the course and see how it all shakes out. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, uh, we're going to cut you loose. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, looking forward to seeing you out there in, in Madison in the next couple of days. I was there once today. I'll be back uh, over the next couple of days. Um, next event for you, is that going to be at, uh, what, Idlewild in a couple of weeks, or what's your plan? Yeah, Kentucky going down to Idlewild. So this week, uh, we're, it's like Albert, Albert Tam, uh, Barsby, and I will kind of be pounding around. And I know Albert and I are going to be working working on some like uphill and downhill and like woods gaps and like preparing for like the sort of topography that is idle while there's a lot of trees, but it's not idle. It's not hard because it's trees. It's hard because you're playing up and down mm. uh, slow with the trees. Like if we were just on a flat plane with tight gaps, it wouldn't really be that big, big of a problem. But I think because of the grade and the stuff like that, the disc height. So we're just going to prepare for that and have some fun. So it'll be a mix of training and uh, relaxation, cheese curds, swimming. <laughs> I love it. will be some focus, some focus disc golf going on. And then we're going to go out and support the women. At least I am. Uh, we're going to watch. Uh, I know Albert wants to watch uh, some of these, uh, her, his partner, Kathy. Uh, she's, they're going to play mixed doubles at world. So he kind of wants to get a vibe for her game and see how she handles pressure. And like, so that will be kind of fun. Like a little, little homework and uh, just go support the women. Yeah, that's awesome. It'll be great seeing you out there and uh, and you enjoy it. And I was already thinking I had a few weeks after 
Uh, we see everyone in Kentucky. Um, I, I've done the math. There's zero flat holes at the toboggan as well. And you've <laughs> got to hit gaps and there's a lot of trees. They've made the course a little bit tougher. So, uh, yeah, you, any any training you're doing for Kentucky will also be very applicable for a couple of weeks after that at the toboggan. Plus, the hills are even more inclined. So, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have to put on like a 70 pound rucksack and start like climbing. Slopes. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what I do. I just, just have Terry on your back. <laughs> yeah. Terry will just hold on to you like Yoda Shoot, and that, you run around and doing it wrong. All these, all these years, I can't get this rucksack off of me. That's the problem. Uh-oh. Uh, Bradley, I, uh, you know, I've, I've known you for a long time. I've seen you around. I've seen you grinding. Um, it's, it's truly awesome and inspirational to see what you did this weekend. And, you know, you've always known that it's, it's in you. And so to see you burst through the way you did this last weekend, all, you know, all systems firing and all cylinders firing and and then maintaining and staying within yourself to be able to close it out the way you did with all those pressures and, uh, you know, the, the spotlight being that much greater, taking home your biggest paycheck. I just want to say that it was it was awesome to see truly. Yep. And uh, I, I think I echo what a, a lot of people do within the disc golf community is that. In addition to your successes there, everybody loves Bradley. We've always loved you, but your personal growth and development over these last few years, as you alluded to, um, it makes it even that much more awesome. And uh, it's it's really awesome to see you out there and doing what you're doing. So we appreciate it. I really appreciate uh, hearing that, and it like it's really emotional to like hear you talk like that about like my journey with this golf and. It's nice to hear, and I appreciate. It. I really appreciate it. Well, I, 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 one step further, I will say, you know, some people that aren't either in the know or don't don't keep up with you as regularly, you know, like maybe Johnny alluded to, feel like they knew the old Bradley, and and I'm the first guy that's like. Bradley's awesome to be around. He's been on this journey and it's very obvious week in and week out. And uh, you've been, you know, nothing but an incredibly stand up human and sweet and kind and gentle. And and I know you've had your struggles, but to to see you overcome so much of that and continue to work on yourself, it's it's just truly been awesome. So I'm 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 always in your corner, buddy. I appreciate that, Terry. All right. Um, well, well, I'm going to, yeah, I guess uh, if, that, if that's our closing thoughts, like that's the nicest thing that, uh, you know, I could hear from a, <laughs> someone who works in the industry and I see every week, like a, pretty much like a family member, see you out there doing your grind. Uh, and that takes a lot to travel and, and do the do the job that you're doing. So I appreciate that. And I, and uh, obviously here, Johnny with the, in the <laughs> podcast and you guys are talking about disc golf and, and doing entertainment. That's really cool. And it's just cool to be a part of it now and uh, share some disc golf stories with you guys over the evening. Well, you're always welcome. You, you don't yes. have to win, but uh, we almost guarantee uh, the winner to show up. But you're, you're welcome here anytime. And uh, I think we certainly need to figure out when the next Bradley lessons and or instructional video clinic breakdown, seminar, whatever symposium takes place. Uh, looking forward. I'm sure the entire disc golf community is looking forward to hearing that. So enjoy your cheese curds. Enjoy your victory. Uh, looking forward to seeing you out on the course. And uh, thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. You guys have a good one, Bradley. All right, take care. Have a good night. All right, Bradley Williams. uh, We should have asked him if he uh, (laughs) does. He, I mean, his nickname was always Cactus. Sure, because he was a his personality was back in the day was a little prickly, as the joke was. Does he still like that? 
I'm sure he doesn't. No? Like, if you think well, about I mean, it. If, obviously, based on where it came from, things can change. You know? Sure. Cactuses can flower. Uh, sure. <laughs> I, well, I would just, I'm just curious, but I, I didn't think about it until someone posted it on the board there. Um, regardless, I found myself, and this is not something I would have probably said five years or six years ago, I found myself rooting for Bradley this weekend. And I, cause I know the changes that he's had. I know, I understand the the person he's become. And when you're, when you're going up against the likes of the lovable Simon Lazat, the huge story in Ricky Wysocki, you know, mm-hmm. the young up and comer Bradley or Bradley Williams, uh, Kyle Klein and, 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 you know, <laughs> as naturally. We, yeah. There's a lot of people to root for that they, seem easy. That's very easy to root for. So the fact that, I found myself rooting for Bradley going into that round says a, says a lot, I think about a, how far he's come. So I'm, I'm extremely excited. I'm happy for him and I I can't wait to see, you know, further successes from him. Yeah. We'll see if this propels him. And I mean, that that's, you know, maybe somebody had asked us to possibly ask him that. And I just think, uh, of course he can use it as fuel and momentum, uh, you know, is it is this the first? Is this going to be a the first of a few breakout performances where he then really goes out and we're seeing him in the top five for the next few months? I mean, think about think about sometimes that flow that they get into, and you think like of a Luke Humphreys, a Luke Humphreys, how you open this year, Simon Lazar, and then wrote it, and Simon kind of in recent time, you know, riding some of that double G, riding some of that in in recent uh, weeks and whatnot. I have to wonder if if it. If it hurts him to not have an event this weekend, to not be in that, to to keep that flow a little bit longer and a little bit more off time, if if that is going to um, slow him down at all. I, I mean, yeah, it, it's, I, it's all internal for him. I know. And, and we always think about like you go out to league and, you know, you birdie the last four holes at league and you're like, wait, no, no, no. I'm just getting warmed <laughs> up. You know, now let's start playing, you know, that kind of mentality and how it could carry over from week to week. And we'll see, um, you know, how things you go to Idlewild, which almost couldn't be any more of a stark contrast to what you just saw, mm-hmm. you know, in Idlewild hitting these very tight lines and only really a couple of wide open holes as opposed to what we just saw at the preserve. But like he just said, I mean, he's going to go on over to some hills and trying to hit gaps. I, I don't know who what? else practices that. So he he's definitely in the right frame of mind. And somebody nailed it on our board. High disc golf IQ. Uh, yeah, B- because thinking about just when we talked to him about the putt on 16, him saying something like, well, I feel like I maybe should have brought my foot in a little bit more to square up my shoulders to make sure like that's nothing I don't think I've ever thought about. <laughs> no, just you're like, in, cool. I didn't trip when I yeah, missed my putt. I, when I know when I walked up to the putt. <laughs> no, but when I mean, when you when I walk exactly. up to an uphill putt, mm-hmm. I think, OK, m- maybe in, internally I'm thinking, all right, line up your shoulders, point at the basket and putt. And then whiff. Yeah, and, <laughs> Regardless. And whiff or hit more than likely hit basket, get up and roll, <laughs> roll down, down the hill back at me, you know, but uh, and then get really frustrated <laughs> and just toss one up there. But the fact that all those things are going through his head um, really goes to show you the, the, the mind of Bradley Williams. And it's been long known that he is kind of a, I don't say a form guru, but definitely, as he said, a form nerd. It is amazing because I've talked to a lot of other pros. Not a lot of them talk like that. 
No. I think a lot of them internalize it. It's more of a feeling. He knows how to express it, express it and make it external. So, you know, you couldn't ask for someone (laughs) better than Bradley. Okay. Well, congratulations, of course, to him. And then with that, let's uh, quickly recap uh, the other top finishers and competitors over at the Preserve Championship. Ricky Wysocki, of course, coming in second. I'm strokes. still hearing cheers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're in my uh, backyard. Well, Ari <laughs> is only about a few miles from us right now, so that's why. <laughs> okay, I do. It, it was just Ari. You should have brought her over for the podcast, Terry. Uh, I, I gave her a few options and ideas, and she didn't take me up on any of them. Uh, I don't think any of them probably were come over for more, the podcast. More on that later. Uh, Kyle Klein, Simon Lazat tying for third. Just three back of Bradley as they were at 29 under par. James Conrad, a little bit of distance with him uh, back at 26 under. Adam Hammes with an insanely scorching round of 13 under. Almost as good was Gannon Burr. We almost sent it. Mo was pulling his hair out, uh, stressing about sending a camera over to him towards mm. about halfway through the round because we saw that Hammes was on a heater and gannon burr was on a heater and we were thinking ah you know do you pull a do you pull a camera from our lead card which had four with our slow-mo cam and send one there because that could be you know at the time we were thinking that could be course record he's not going to win we all knew that but getting if he would have gotten up into the podium spots depending on what anyone else was doing ultimately we decided against it clearly because we were really focused on the mission at hand i think we made the right decision but those guys were just on fire yeah, it was uh, pretty cool to see, and and I'm, and it's almost got to be a little deflating at the same time in that you can have these incredible rounds, but because of so many birdies being available on that course, a twelve or a thirteen in this case moved them up, you know, twenty and twelve spots, but it couldn't put them in contention. It's a great round. It's not a phenomenal round, and it's better than good because yeah. a good round out there is. 8 to 10. Like, that's what, as Bradley said, that's what every pro is probably shooting for. 8 to 10 strokes. You know, under par. If you get above that, it's bonus. Because, you, you know, Bradley won with... I, th- I think they're expecting... 32. I think they're expecting 10. I think they feel like they need to get 10 under yeah. on that course. Yeah. If you want to win, yes. You need to hit 10 under consistently every round. Because Ricky took second and, and averaged 10 under. I mean, he shot 11 that final round, but he shot 30 under par for three rounds. So... You know that if you want to win, you have to hit double digits each round practically or, you know, have a round like a 13 or a 14 and then you can maybe get away with an eight. But it's everybody knows what you go into with that course. There's um, and, and, and I know you're joking. The Minnesotans get a little uh, touchy when you start using the word soft. I know. So, and that's why I was. <laughs> but uh, it's it's not a soft course because I feel like a soft course is more along the lines of the pars are soft like eh, you know this is there's a few extra there's a few par fours in there that could be par threes like that to me feels like a soft score this isn't soft this is just deuce or die and to me that's i like that style of course once in a while i think it's good to have that because it's a diff as we know it's a different type of pressure it's not that you know on a par four where you can make a mistake oh you know i made a mistake i threw it off to the right i'll get a I'll get a par on this one. And you know what? 40 to 50% of the other uh, people are going to get par on this one. That's not how it works here. If you don't birdie some of these holes, you're losing a stroke to 70% of the competitors. Yeah. So it is, 
it is a different type of pressure walking up to a lot of these holes than uh, other courses. And I do like that style of golf once in a while. And I think having one or two events like this on the pro tour every season is great. I wouldn't want an entire season of this, just like I wouldn't want an entire season uh, of LVC or an entire season of, you know, DDO. I love the variety that we have in our tour. I'm scrolling down. I'm thinking about even just starting off on hole number one, how literally the top 14 people in the division or that finished the top 14 finishers, all birdied hole one Garrett had the bogey. We saw that. And then, you know, five out of the next six birdied hole one. So something like 16, uh, sorry, 20 out of like 22 people birdied hole one. Um, you know, it's just one of those holes, as you were just saying, that's kind of a must get, you know, there's other holes out there, but hole one just jumps right off the page. as like, yep, you really should be starting with a birdie. Almost everybody is. You got to start with that birdie. So, uh, all right. So I did, I round out the top couple. I think I guess I tracked uh, Gannon Burr, Albert, uh, Tom, uh, Paul Macbeth and Ezra Aderhold round out your top 10. And I guess, I guess a, a, a question that could be posed before we move into the M- FPO. FPO. Um, you know, you look you look at Macbeth, who had to move up four spots to get into the top ten, and a lot of these other names we're seeing more and more frequently. But after the first round, there wasn't a big conversation about Macbeth, and you know, one would pose the question, which is funny because he shot. I I, I feel like it was maybe after the second round when he didn't make up for the first one, because the first one he shot an eight under. Yeah. And again, as we said, you need to hit 10, eight. You're only a little off the pace. You can come back from a, an eight under, as we said, and shoot a 12 and you're right there in it with everybody, but he didn't. Okay. He, he came back with a seven. And at that point he's done. Then like, you're, then you're out of it. So you're, you're, and, you're out of it. Unless you have that perfect practice, the practically perfect round. So coming back, finishing in the top 10, finishing out strong, when when you look at that, he didn't it, finish that strong. He shot another eight. Same thing he did first okay, round. Like yeah, moving it, up, he start. shot the average. Like this is the pro average, eight, eight, and eight. That's what like our top pros should be shooting out there. So I like, guess the, the the question becomes, with I'll say crawling back into the top ten by shooting that. Sure. What makes of the first half of his season? What's the takeaway there? Um, because we haven't seen the who, dominance. Who are again? Who are we comparing it to? Are we comparing it to the average pro, the average top pro? I mean, or are we comparing it to our uh, idealized version of Paul Macbeth? Uh, that's Be- a good question. Because if you're comparing it to the idealized version of Paul Macbeth, I still think of 2015, 2016. This is a disappointment. For for him for him for, from that era, or if you're holding him to that standard, if you're holding him to that standard, but I mean, Paul's still taking top ten in a tougher field. He might not quite be as sharp as he has been in the past. He's got other things going on. He said, you know, he he was sick and he only got one practice round in. He was in Montenegro putting in work, all this other stuff. I I, I feel like these and. You know, maybe I'll ask him <laughs> this weekend t- tomorrow. Um, it kind of feels like these events maybe don't mean as much to him as they have in the past. That he's focused a lot on his foundation, 
he focuses a lot on the big events, the majors. Mm-hmm. He took second at at our first major. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't shock me to see him take top three at the at our next major, which would be Worlds, right? Mm-hmm. European, European Open. Open, European Open, then, then Worlds. Yeah. So uh, I feel like he he doesn't he hasn't not that he doesn't he hasn't dedicated the time that some of these other pros have to these courses. He's <laughs> I got to face this guy tomorrow. He's skating by on his talent. He can walk up to any hole and park it or put it in the perfect spot. But if you're just a little bit rusty, if you haven't, if you haven't worked, if you only played the course once and not three times throwing multiple shots, maybe you're not, you don't quite have that line dialed in. And, and I say that with love. I, I think you give Paul Macbeth, an extra two to three days on this course. I think he's a top three competitor. No doubt. I just think he's got other things going on and, and he, he can get by better than those other guys because of his talent. And I, I mean, we'll see what happens again. We'll see what happens when it comes up to the majors. How soon is he going to be in Europe? How many rounds is he going to get on that course? When he goes to worlds this year at DDO, is he going to get there a week early in practice? You know, those are the events that he gears up for and the, which shows that those are the events he plays well for. I, I, I mean, I can't fault him. The dude's changing the game for off the course these days mm-hmm. and a little bit less on the course. But he still has that competitive drive. He doesn't want I mean, you see him get frustrated when he's shooting, quote unquote, average golf at eight under par. Yeah. And I and, and part of that, I think about but, but um, cool. I can go out right now to Valley View here, shoot mediocre, shoot like a six down and be frustrated because I haven't practiced. You know, when we're playing, when you and I were doing leagues, I was regularly 10, 11, 12 under because it's a pitch and putt course. And I would get frustrated. Then I go out now and shoot a six under. I'm probably frustrated at myself, but do I deserve to be? I haven't played. I barely touch. I've, I've been doing more putting in my backyard the last three days than I have in years. So it it really is a perspective deal. Like how upset can you get when you're not 100% focused on your craft? I don't know. Yeah, I I think, you know, as we've said, it's largely based on when when you're comparing him, him specifically to what he's done in the past mm-hmm. and what we know he's capable of and others could say well this year's not that impressive or it doesn't feel like you're dominant he's, or he's as got good. a Waco win mm-hmm. he's got second place at the at our first major and he's taking top 10 in every other event practically it, it's a good season it's not great exactly and and again i think that's always where it comes back to most players would take his season and say like hey you can go out yeah. and try this on your own or we could give you what he's done this season and yeah. and there's plenty of players that say oh yeah you know I'll, I'll i'll take that i don't need to see the flop i'll just take that you know what you're giving yeah. me what you're I, offering me as a as i a, just scrolled down you know gavin rathbun aaron gossage connor o'reilly you give any one of those three paul Macbeth season they are on cloud nine <laughs> paul he's probably like eh you know, I can do better. I know I can. So, 
All right. Well, well, if he attacks me tomorrow, I'll. <laughs> I think he should whoop you. Is what I think. Uh, th- that was your top yeah, ten, fine. as I just said. Uh, Albert, Paul, and Ezra rounded it all out. Uh, congratulations to all our top ten finishers. Also, getting into that conversation just outside of that was Kelvin Heimberg. We're keeping an eye on him, and then really, I think one of the one of the conversations for sure for the weekend because of his recent success seeing double G struggle largely just in that final round see, you know of course he was on the the lead card um going into it but seeing him struggle to open up his round he he turned it around on the back nine got things going but uh he ultimately dipped 10 places into that 15th and it just not not on point it, from what we saw from the previous few weeks out of double G it and, felt like a good weekend for double G with a misstep yeah like just like oh everybody's gonna have an off day double g's was on sunday and you want it to be monday yeah so. all right we're gonna move over to the fpo action i'm gonna quickly read through our results there we saw Paige pierce of course take it down ultimately by five strokes over missy gannon Tying Missy Gannon for second place was Ella Hansen. And then right behind that pair uh, by single stick, we saw Katrina Allen, who finished in uh, with a 13 under. Katrina had a great final round. She, Yeah, she certainly did. She had the one bogey, but seven birdies out there. You know, that, uh, you know, essentially almost doubled her score. She came into the round at seven under over the first two days and then finishes strong on the final round with her six under showing yet again that grit that determination and she's we've seen this a number of times out of cat this year where it feels like she's just not there one of her early rounds isn't there but then she still comes in and finishes really strong i think back to the players cup very specifically uh you know she had clawed herself up like 20 or 30 spots or whatever it was in the final round it was a significant jump just knowing like hey i've still got fight in me i haven't played the way i want to i maybe am out of contention to win it however i'm still going to go put out a a really solid round so she finishes in fourth evelina solonen finishes in fifth holland hanley who we got to see uh, more than usual this weekend which is great she finished in sixth tying for seventh three-way was maria oliva jennifer allen and jk juliana corver <laughs> juliana had one birdie and one bogey during the final round 16 pars out there and that led her to uh, her tie for seventh place and, so and, congratulations and i'll say it was a it was a poor putting round for her that final round um she could have easily been probably four or five down but she missed a lot of circle one putts we saw it on camera it seemed like every time we were going to her she was lacing drives and just struggling on the putting green still Mm -hmm. so it's just things she's things she's aware of she's a veteran she understands uh and things i'm sure she's working on We'll get to see her this weekend, probably. Yes, she's out in Madison. I saw her today, actually. Oh, nice. Uh, she's already out there. And one thing that is very cool that we're seeing around, again, being uh, you know very biased and, and homers for our state and our area, uh, a lot of posts made in the last day with a lot of our players going out and playing a weekly league last night or playing a, a round and running into Hannah and Paul or or uh, uh, JK and Jim Oates played around yesterday. Um, lots of players. I, I, I continued to see them pour throughout my Facebook, and it's always awesome. There's a special feel. We don't have a ton of this high-level superstar performance and players come to Wisconsin that often. So, of course, when it's in our backyard, 
uh, or or the town over from us, for instance. There's a lot of people that are taking in, which is awesome to experience and see. And uh, Token Creek, Elver, excited for both of those this weekend. So that's your FPO action, as I just mentioned. Those are your top 10 finishers there. And if you're looking for a little more insight, today we had the press conference that I quickly touched on, but the press conference that's out there and is available, it gives you a whole extra day in theory if there's anything you want to consume from it. I had a lot of fun uh, talking to all the competitors today and also uh, our Hall of Famer, PDGA number 83, Tita Ugalde, who I haven't had, I openly admitted to her right as she walked up, I said, I'm embarrassed by this, but I, I don't know you as well as I should. And we had a very brief talk two seconds before she then got in front of me. And then we had an interview. That's the one interview I ended up stepping away from. And missing. Yeah, she uh, she's just such a kind, amazing soul. Re- just retired from education after 42 years. And I said, and you didn't kill a kid like that alone, I think, is impressive because, man, I've only been around a few of them that are my kids friends and. I'm surprised I haven't yet. <laughs> like, uh, so 42 years in education. She had stories about the 70s. She has conversations and stories about ultimate and freestyling and double discord and self-caught flight and just it, just truly a Frisbee fanatic, you know, knows and played with Stork and no Stork. And, and of course, a lot of the, the, the newer, or I'm sorry, the original PDGA members all knew each other very much. So, uh, of course, new steady ad and um, PDGA number 83. That's an eight, three. So it's only like 14,000 better than me. <laughs> and like uh, 200 and some thousand lower than where we're at right now. So yeah. truly a, just uh, an amazing soul and uh, a pioneer and trailblazer on those days. And, and I know sometimes I throw around birthdays today. uh, Our, we wouldn't be here. (laughs) We wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here listening to us yammer on and on. If it weren't for the man himself, steady Ed Hedrick, who I believe would have been celebrating his 98th birthday today, but steady Ed Hedrick, um, the godfather of all disc golf uh, would have been, I think, 98 today. So um, thanks, Steady. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we can say anything better than that. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for getting us all together, even though you had no idea at the time that it would uh, turn into what it has. Uh, I want to talk real quick about a uh, friend of the show, Scott Stokely, reached out to us and asked if we could uh, briefly talk uh, about something he's putting together um, it's it's a six month online class that says become a complete disc golfer, a complete one, Terry. Uh, I'm not I'm, like us. I'm half the half the man <laughs> you ought to be. The Pearl Jam, half the man. What half the man? Oh, better Stone, man. That's better man. Stone, Stone Temple Pilots, Pilots half the man <laughs> I used to be. Uh, I'm twice the man. <laughs> you and I, I both. Was. You and I both. You and I both. Anyway, um, there it's an online class that kicks off in early July, and you get to take classes with Scott. I think there's some live classes. There's some recorded stuff. Um, there's discounts for people with special needs. Um, ultimately, it's a lot of what he has been teaching. It's probably going to fill up. So if if you're interested, obviously you can go out to scottstokely.net and and take a look at that, but I will say that Scott has been doing teaching around the country for the last few years. I've heard nothing but great things. So if you're interested in becoming a better disc golfer, I don't think this would hurt. 
if you want to be a complete disc golfer, according to what this says. Um, me personally, I'm fine with being a half disc golfer. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need that forehand half. I'll stick with backhand uh, and poorly, by the way. So, uh, yes, but honestly, it, it's probably worth. I don't. I don't know what the what the cost is. I, I'm I'm not on it right now. But yeah, like I said, it's a six month class. So it goes from July till the end of the year. It's a lot of it's a lot of content. It's a lot of that stuff. Um, go sign up if you want to be a better disc golfer. It's it definitely can't hurt. Uh, yeah, so I was just going to say, either Scott's one of the most successful, best disc golf teachers of all time, or he just deletes reviews better than anybody else. One of the oh, two. Oh, that could I be. think it's the former, though. <laughs> I think he's truly one of the best ever. And uh, yeah, I, I would second that. Go out. Uh, excited to see. I saw Scott briefly tonight. He's going to be part Good. of uh, uh, hanging out over there at the Funky Farm. So certainly uh, great. great to share some time with him. And we We've had him on now a few times. Uh, we'll probably have him on some more, but uh, certainly go out and I, I was going to say support Scott, but really you're just trying to get better at yeah, disc golf. D- yeah. And if he, d- if you happen to support Scott at that point, great, but you're going to become a better disc golfer. Do it for you, not for him. Yeah. Do it for you. <laughs> yeah, get we selfish. All know, we all know you need to be a better disc golfer, whoever <laughs> yeah. you are. All right, let's jump over quickly to our Am Worlds. Am Worlds champions, which I've only screwed up. The city in Indiana about six times. Uh, the FA one winners name about nine times. So combined, I've got at least 15 screw ups here, but I'm going to go for it one more time. In Evansville, Indiana, which consisted of a few other nearby towns and whatnot where they played. But in Evansville, Indiana this weekend on the FA side, we had the 15 year old Cadence Burge. Who took it down? So congratulations to her. That was my first try. I think I nailed it. How many times did you call her Candace? Like at least two or three during the live broadcast. <laughs> and then when once. I didn't screw up her first name, I then had no clue how to pronounce her second or her second name, her last name. Uh, which coincidentally, I reached out to like four people and said, "Hey, I want to announce her correctly. Can you tell me how to say her name?" And I think I got four different answers, so that didn't help at the time. So but Cadence Burge. Cadence. Burge, congratulations. 15. 15. Sponsored by Discmania already. Already was. Beat out the Linz twins. Beat out the Linz twins. And uh, you just made it all super competitive um, it, all, all week, which was which was really awesome to see. So congratulations to you, Cadence. Um, awesome to see. And uh, I didn't double check. Is she playing this weekend or not? We need to look that up. Um, I, did, I did not I th- look. I know the Linz twins for sure are here because I've already seen their post being are, in Wisconsin. Which division are they playing? Uh, I believe it's open. Is it? Okay. I, uh, I haven't. I honestly haven't looked. Um, and then on the MA1 side, coming out of Massachusetts, Paul Kranz. So many of you already know Paul and Ilkin had gone into a battle, a playoff at the USADGC a few weeks ago. So... I had no surprise whatsoever when I saw the two of them pushing and contending and a few others kind of all in the mix at Am Worlds and vying for that title. And when it was all said and done, Paul got, we'll call it his revenge for now at least. Paul also, uh, like Ilkin from a few weeks earlier, 17 years old, and he took it down. So uh, I think he came into this event rated 1,001. a couple of weeks prior, he was rated like 990 or 991 when he was at the USAMs. But when it was all said and done, Paul is your champion. Congratulations, of course, to Paul. 
Uh, none of the women that competed at Amworlds in the top three are playing open here. here. You know how to spell? Is that uh, that's not the issue? Uh, okay, just de- def- definitely not Burge, B U R G E. And Linz is just L I N D L Y N D S. L Y N D. Oh, maybe that's it. Ah. E S. Okay, so yes. Yeah, so they are the Linz are playing in open. My mistake. I, I spelt their last name incorrectly. So when I did a search, thank you for correcting me on that, Terry. I can correct you all day long, don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, what I do best, in fact. It's that's why I keep you around. Yes, yes. Uh, so congratulations to, you know, of course, the winners. I always say congratulations to all your top performers and just the people that took the time, the money, the resources, the travel, the energy, Some often the parents, uh, if they're young enough, um, you know, for the competitors. But congratulations to everyone that got to go experience the world championships as, as a guy who played in 20 consecutive world championships myself. I so many of my fondest memories in disc golf continue to be from the world championships and it's not from winning it. That's for sure. But from just being part of it, there's it's, it's an experience like none other. So congratulations to all of them. And it's not, it's not the same anymore. Like it's, it's not the same as what we, it's a different experience. Uh, the world, the world championships these days. Um, and it kind of leads me into like my next talking point about this upcoming weekend with the USWDGC. Uh, there's talks about, I think you brought it up a few times in the, in the conference about the courses. Mm-hmm. Um, I know last year there were some issues with the courses um, as far as the quality of the courses, the exclusivity, I would say of the courses. There were a lot of people that were, that were had that had issues with you know spectators and just casual people walking around courses uh, either during practice rounds or even during the event um and then of course the the distance of the courses and i don't think i'll say for this event i don't believe you're going to see the issue with the practicing or the casuals on these courses because they're relatively off the beaten path for the events are going to be closed to disc golfers. But on top of that, these aren't necessarily like very popular walking paths or things like that. Yeah, this, you're, you're not going to get a random person just kind of, yeah, uh, as I, I, I described, I, I, I you're I not going to get somebody pushing a stroller through these courses. No, no, no. I could see Elver. Elver you could see somebody kind of walking through the woods maybe. But again, that, that could or couldn't. I doubt it'll happen, but I could envision something like that. Um, but you talked about like the length of these courses and these are shorter courses than what the women are used to playing. They're only, you know, 6,500 and 7,000 feet or whatever that is. And there's discussions about whether this challenges the women or what type of golf. I kind of put this in the, in the type of golf that I put the preserve in. This is going to be more of their different styles, but it's that same mentality. It's going to be a, a birdie or die mentality. Um, have we moved past the point where USWDGC should be a combined event. Yeah. And I, th- I think that was even more so a sentiment last year. Um, but, and I, I kind of want to say about that. People have to realize that these were bid on years ago. Yeah. Because, and not only were they bid on years ago, they were pushed back a year because of COVID, like nothing happened. So th- this event was probably bid out at least four years ago. 
three, yes, three, three, prob- three yeah, probably four, somewhere in that time. Three right? to four years yeah, ago, for sure. So before the disc golf boom, before all that stuff, it was a different environment back then. So I give a lot of leniency to these events for the next year, maybe up, for, maybe one more year from now, as far as how they feel in the courses. But go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that. You know, and that was a talking point for me today with some of our competitors. I think that recognizing that our women have gotten accustomed to seven, eight, nine thousand foot courses. I believe the preserve was something like ninety six hundred feet this last weekend, which is on the longer side. So, you know, maybe that's just a little bit of an, an outlier or an upper limit. But that's a fair question is when people are bidding out to host this event, is it the is it going to be sustainable to have all the divisions there? Now, Madison's blessed in the sense that there are five or so courses, six or even seven, depending on how far you want to travel. There's at least five courses that can be part of competitive play. So even if you have or need a course that plays a little bit easier or plays relatively short for some of the the you know the the least rated players they have that available and they don't have to share the exact same course. We don't have to put the, the novice women on the same course as FPO in this case, which is great. However, do we need the FPO courses to be even tougher uh, by leaps and bounds? I guess that's ultimately Mm -hmm. the question. And, and if so, does it stay on the same week? Because I think that's all part of the bid. That's all part of the process. You know, do you have kind of a an amateur United States women disc golf yeah. championships and then a professional United States? And then if we're going to really like start splitting some of those hairs, should or making those distinctions is a better way to put it. Rather than pro and am, should we literally have all divisions and as one weekend, uh, maybe at the same place or not, but then just FPO, nothing but FPO on a separate week for a four day major. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a question that can be asked now. Well, we we've seen for, we'll just say for, uh, amateur men, they have the USADGC over in Michigan, right? Yeah. I, it's technically open to, to FPO. Uh, I'm sorry, not Correct. FPO, anyway, uh, FA one, but yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I, I get your but point. it's, basically one division right it is one division yes okay so let's just consider that as we know mpo is open to women too but Mm -hmm. we consider it a men's division um should the women have something like that should should our women players have a dedicated event let's just call it the uswdgc let's say that is the name we go with we stick that is the event that 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 we tear away and that says only FPO or only, sorry, you know, only yeah. am women play that or does USWDGC become only FPO? Uh, do, do we separate? I mean, cause we, we have worlds where you've got both fields, you've got juniors, which is separate. Now you've got masters, which is separate. Now have we outgrown the U S and we probably talked about this last year, even the USWDGC being that, combined feel good let's get all the women together in one event you know what what is the purpose of uswdgc and if the purpose is to get everyone together should it be a major or should it just be a a women's global style event where it's more of a uh a gathering a competitive gathering 
I, I just have a hard time believing that if you do that, you're going to have a lot of FPL just not show up because it's not going to mean as much. This is a major now. I, I don't know the right answer because we don't have something like this for, for uh, the men's side. You don't have an event that's cool. Let's get the MPO and the MA1 and, you know, MP40 and, and we don't have that. It doesn't exist. So do, do we need it for women anymore? I think it, it served a purpose. I just wonder if it's, if it's outlived its purpose now in the bigger scheme of disc golf that we are at. Do you, do you feel like the throw pink championships instead serves that purpose? I think that the way things are moving it's only a matter of time before throw pink becomes a major. And if that's the case, you have the throw pink, the equivalent of the U S DGC. You have, we have worlds, which for both of them for both divisions, you've got European open for both divisions and you've got masters cup for both divisions. Players cup, players cup, sorry, champions cup, whatever. Um, where, where does USWDGC fit into that? Do the women get a fifth major? Does it matter? I don't know if it does or not. Like, do, do we care that if the women have five majors and the, and the men only have four, do we want to keep it consistent between divisions? Or maybe I'm completely wrong and throw pink never becomes a major. It just always becomes the, the, you know, the, we'll call it the X major because it's, you know, it's not quite a major, but everyone kind of treats it that way. It's where the best of the best FPO show up on the same weekend that the best of the best MPO are playing the same course. It feels awkward. Like it feels awkward that it's no, it's just an A tier or it's just whatever tier it is. Mm-hmm. It it just really feels like it's moving towards that perspective that it's a major. And I know it's not this year. I don't think it is technically next year because I believe the majors were announced for next year you have to feel at some point that they're going to maybe make that push. It feels natural. They're already there. What's the difference between literally throwing the, the, the letter M in front of it instead of a, at this point, would it change anything? Um, yeah, probably some tiny details, but, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll abstain from, uh, sure. <laughs> some of those thoughts. Um, uh, it, it, they're all fair questions because yes, yeah, so the, the really, the the main point of the conversation is have have we if we're going to cater to our a major in which our best women in the world are at it they need to be challenged by the best most difficult courses for them and exclusively for that division and that might mean either a separate event or or uh, you know different host or a different format or whatever so yeah there there's definitely a conversation to be had there I, and, I i totally agree and i know this is semantics but to me the someone sue i believe said that the uswdgc should be am only i i have a weird feeling in my belly like if you're gonna do uswdgc it should be on the same weekend as usdgc and it should be for the fpo that throw pink i would love to see that name taken and put towards uh whatever this you know fpo version would be only for consistency sake yeah be- it, it it just feels like that would be the case. And I know, you know, for us who have been in the sport for a while, it's like, oh, whatever, throw pink and USD. Consistency always, I think, matters. And if you're going to have an event on the same weekend as USDGC, 
making it US WDGC only makes sense. Yeah, so, logistically sounds. But I don't know the I don't know the business perspective behind Throw Pink versus USW. There's a whole the whole business thing there's, behind there's, it. There's there's a lot of moving parts. Some politics, there's some branding, there's some naming, there's some rights, there's some Money, there's some influence, yeah. Sarah, uh, something I didn't know, Sarah Nichols says the LPGA does have five majors and the PGA only has four. That's interesting. I, I honestly had no clue about that. So, you know, do, do, do we care then? I mean, do we have to be like golf? No. Could we be whatever? Uh, that, that is interesting, though. I, didn't, I never knew that. Mm. All right. I don't know if we... Um... Oh, uh, quick side note, uh, only because it was pointed out to me that the most recent, uh, which maybe you haven't gotten, the r- most recent issue of Disc Golfer magazine it's probably uh, in the mailbox. Uh, right ha- now. has a nice little write up on Wisconsin, which obviously is well timed in the fact that we're here for the U.S. Women's uh, taking place this week, and uh, it has a really nice write up uh, about all about the the varying places in Wisconsin. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool to see. So a little spotlight on Wisconsin for this week for that reason. Um, if oh yeah, you we saw a few interviews with uh, PDGA representatives this weekend. Usually right after the second card teed off, a lot of them talking about uh, board of directors. There are thirteen candidates for the board of directors. Um, if you subscribe to the PDGA, or I think you can find it on the PGA page. PDGA page. Um, there's podcasts, I think, interviewing them. Yeah, that you can go and listen to and get the the candidates uh, perspective and talk with and talk, listen to them talk and explain what, why they want to be a PDGA director. Um, so please go out and do that. Be an informed voter. Yeah. And, and I'll follow that up and say someone, one of the candidates will keep quiet. One of the candidates did reach out to me and say, Hey, are you in uh, the pocket of a big uh, candidate? <laughs> I, I would like to be, <laughs> if you would like me to bribe me. Now, um, a, a candidate did reach out to me and had said, hey, I know in the past that sometimes you've had, you know, kind of uh, interviews and whatnot with the with uh, various candidates. And, you know, if there's a spot on Smashbox, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, first of all, I don't think I replied, which I should still do. So I apologize on that behalf. But I was very much under the impression that there was going to be a specific concerted effort to uh, host something of that nature. And that's why I felt like. If if they're going to do it, I'd love for it to be in that one, I'll say kind of consistent theme. Mm-hmm. And and because the word the, the one thing I did worry about and unless there was a whole nother agenda, uh, you know, or, or way to go about it, I was worried about, well, if we just have one on and not like the other five or it, 10 or 20 or whatever. Yeah. So to me, when I had heard there was some type of effort where there was going to be kind of a uniform approach to it, I feel like that makes the most sense. Now, if there were three, just three, that were uh, doing it, and one night we could hear on Smashbox... Oh, we'd have, line them up like the January 6th Yeah, we would just have the three it, of them. It, it, it would be us And that would be a totally different story. Them. But with the massive undertaking that it would have been, and then all of a sudden somebody can't make it, and then it looks like favoritism... It's easier to steer clear of that, assuming that all of them are going to have this uniform approach in which they're going to be able to get their voices heard. So I, I just wanted to make that clear. So listen to whatever is put out and is available so that you can be, as Johnny said, an informed voter. Um, th- that would be our recommendation for sure. All right. Uh, we... Mm, 
I don't know if I fully understand where Sue says we don't even see the pros at the USWDGC. We are all at different courses. You're right. You you won't necessarily, depending on the schedule, which I haven't looked at in full depth, but I got to assume some people are going to be playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday mornings. And therefore, with our final FPO card teeing off at 3 p.m., the courses are all within 15 or 20 minutes of each other. So if you really felt it, you know, that that burning desire, which I would encourage anyone that does, if you got done with your round, you could probably go see some or all of our final lead card every single day as well. Now, of course, if you're teeing at two o'clock at a different course on the other side of town and they're teeing at three o'clock, I get it. You're not necessarily going to see them play golf, you know, in person. Skip your last round. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, and and it's it's tough because there's no way you're going to accommodate. You always have to wonder, well, is that what the players are here for? Does the 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 person that's leading, I'm just going to make up a division, um, FA50, does she really care to go out and watch the the FPO lead card or does she want to rest and get ready so she can take down the event that week? It's it's kind of tough to juggle every single person's agenda and what they're trying to get out of the event. The one, the one thing that I, I believe there was a social activity of sorts that was available last night to some of the competitors and some of the players. I, I, I guess I shouldn't say anything else until I officially pull up a caddy guide, but I, I feel like there's been a missed opportunity on some social activities would be the one thing that is has been relayed to me. It's and if so, that's that's uh, that's unfortunate. Uh, um, yeah, because it, this does feel like it should very much be a social event for as many people that want to partake in it. It's kind of nice seeing an event like this with the number of women there, like just being able to say that number, because if we do split it apart, you're not going to get that number. Probably, you know, you're not going to see an event that has 342 women at it. You know, you're taking out 90 women from FPO. Now you could maybe expand the other divisions. Maybe they fill up. We'll get there eventually, but it is really nice having that, uh, that number to say, Hey, look at, look at the size of our competitive field for, women women's disc golf yeah and, so. and as soon as i was just uttering those words i, I seem to be uh correcting myself i just saw here uh with one of the posts for the player well uh there is a so a party thanks to ian's pizza ian's which is pizza. It's by good, the way amazing good pizza <laughs> uh for sponsoring refreshments for our saturday night players party at elver make sure to stop by uh, their Francis Street location, da 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 da. But yeah, so it looks like there is a Saturday night players party at Elver. That's something I didn't know of a few days ago. So I am glad to see that was just posted. Uh, and then also, since we're already here and talking about it, Wednesday, June 29th, depending when you're listening to this, this might not be helpful. Uh, there is a four to seven o'clock check in players' packs and badges for competitors, caddies, and support people. Uh, for all competitors, there's going to be a cash bar and free appetizers. That's four to seven on Wednesday night. A mandatory players meeting then follows at seven p.m. and that's at the Mitby Theater at thirty-five fifty Anderson Street in Madison, Wisconsin. Plenty of free parking directly across the street. Tea times will be posted during the player meeting. The earliest tea time slot is nine a.m. So, 
Just great. spreading that along for anyone that's uh, actively going to be part of the experience. Bradley Williams, I'm sure, is still listening at the, the bar, and he's like, what time is that first tea time? I'm going <laughs> to be there. Bradley, you're welcome. 9 a.m. Yeah. will be the first. Uh, on a selfish note, I know sometimes they listen. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk to any of the guys on the pro tour right now. Seth, Jeff, get that TD report in for the preserve. You're, mm. run, you're running out of time. Got people complaining about skip base stuff. Oh, and, <laughs> and the, quickly give the the reason for the call out there. What you uh, what, what what are you getting at? How is it relative? Uh, because the, <laughs> the skip base, our fantasy disc golf thing, goes according to PDGA results. Uh, and right now, we have least. I'm sorry, Jessica Weiss, who didn't play. They do not have her listed as a DNF. It's just it's like she's still waiting to tee on hole one. So unless you so list screws up, so that screws everything up because some players will automatically get subbed out if a player doesn't show or DNFs. Um, and because she's not marked as a DNF, which she will be when the TD report is finalized, um, it's messing people up right now. And I, I thought there was a, a time that they had to have a report in. Is it 48 or six, something like that? Hours? Uh, yeah. From a, I don't know what the, it is from a pro tour event. Uh, yeah, that's an elite series event. Um, yeah. I feel like that, you know, roughly needs so. to be submitted. ASAP. And and I only joke because Jeff Spring is listed as the tournament director for that. So Jeff, get on the job. Or have Seth do it. I don't know. I'm not sure who's taking care of it these days. I'm pretty sure <laughs> Jeff was going to have a matchup with uh, Julian Marquez tonight. Oh, no. In, I, in, I, the, uh, in the octagon. And I don't think that's going to go well for Jeff. I said that my goal is to take Julian down. Now, I'm going to have to do it sneakily. I'm thinking going for his knees when he's not looking. Still probably wouldn't work. I'd probably hurt myself. Yeah, as unless looked. you did it with a car. <sighs> I don't want to dent my car. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Because the last time, last year when we, when, when, uh, we saw Julian, he was, quote-unquote, out of fighting shape because mm. it was early in the season and he didn't, res- or he didn't wrestle. He didn't fight until November. Well, he just had a fight like two weeks ago, the black eye proves it. He still has. Oh, he still has the black eye. Oh, yeah. And so he is in prime fighting shape right now. Uh, I do not think I will I be. I think you are his top contender. Uh, well, we might be in. No, I've got him. Sorry, I can't. I'm out of his weight class. <laughs> <laughs> I probably weigh. Uh, I'm, I am a heavyweight right now. He is not. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't want you to hurt him. You're, you're exactly. Yeah, right. that's exactly it. All right. Well, we've covered the AM World Champions. Congratulations to them. Congratulations, of course, to all the top finishers there. We've covered the preserve. Um, I think I think we're going to go ahead and uh, put a bow on this and call the regular show. Uh, we will, of course, have after show action where we're going to quickly talk about some other things that may or may not be disco related. And also, we're going to have a giveaway. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to definitely have to ramp up. Because I know whatever we had last week was pretty incredible. Oh, I think it was the signed DD3. Yeah. I've, I've um, got the disc member box that I never handed we you. We got a disc member box. And then with a few extra pros in town, I'll probably uh, scoop up a few extra signatures for you guys. And then uh, we'll stockpile some items did, so that we can uh, have those for some future giveaways. Did you see if they were had any sort of disc sales at the uh, at the celebrity pro was there anybody that had special discs i know you said the discraft there was a players pack that's phenomenal but were there extra uh, I, I don't i don't okay believe so, so but i might have to grab a disc here because what i'd like to do is get a signature from maybe all the celebrities and have that as one of our patreon giveaways yeah well 
Careful what you promise. I'm not promising anything, but I said what I'd like to do. (laughs) All right, guys, we are going to close it out. We got to thank Bradley Williams. Congratulations to him. It uh, it was pretty awesome to see. And uh, great battle still put on by the other competitors on the card, including your Ricky Wysocki and and whatnot to try and chase him down. But when it was all said and done, Bradley Williams, your champion, thank you for joining us and make it happen there, Bradley. Also, congrats to Paige Pierce. Uh, had a ton of fun in the booth. We'll talk about that in the after show. But uh, thanks to everyone that was part of the broadcast this week so that we could have another successful Preserve Championship weekend. In the after show, we've got a giveaway. We ramble on about some other things that are disc golf related or otherwise. You can also reach out to us via Facebook or the chat on YouTube, and we'll try and address any questions, comments, or concerns you have. Probably roll our eyes at the stupid shit Disc Blaster says, and uh, we'll answer everyone else that comes to us with anything of, of legitimate significance. For Johnny V and myself, Terry Miller, the Disc Golf Guy, that's podcast number 409. Stick around. We'll have some after show. We'll see you in a moment when you step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash Smashbox TV. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.